right. Praise the Lord. Reminded this morning that his mercies are new every day. Doesn't matter what happened yesterday. Today is the Lord's day. And it is a happy day. And I am grateful to be alive and grateful to be able to be here to rejoice in what God is doing. And I hope you are as well. We're going to pray in just a moment. Before we do, I just want to remind you that we are less than a week away from the Grand Prix. So next Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock. The Grand Prix event will be taking place over there in the multi-purpose room. Along with that, we will have a concession stand, which is all free food. So the current plan is to have several things, like 10, 12 things on the menu, and then people come up and, and order, and then go to the pickup window and pick up their food and like that, and we are going to promote, everyone is welcome at that, so you are welcome to come and volunteer and serve at the concession stand, you are welcome to come and volunteer, or I guess it's volunteering, volunteer to eat our food that comes from the concession stand. There is no charge. And then we really want people to come and be fans for the race. Uh, the race will not take a real long time. We're gonna, we'll race and we have a format and then we have a judge coming in, at least one, probably up to three judges that will come in and judge like a car by design and what looks most like a car and what looks most fantastic. It'll be two different categories. And all that's gonna be going on Saturday. And then we'll race and we'll race kind of by age group. And so we'll have a, a lot of opportunity to win in speed. And then we'll kind of have some fun races at the end. I really would like to race that person again, or I would like to race the, fast, the fastest adult car versus the fastest young kid cars, or whatever, things like that. So we'll have some fun with it. And that's going on Saturday. We'll do some more promotions. Invite everybody. We need fans. We need race fans. We want to be able to make a loud roar when the cars go down the track. And then we'll have sound effects, but it'd be really cool if we have the voices uh, to add to that. So plan your Saturday afternoon accordingly and enlist some people to come. And I know not everybody even got a chance to make a car that would like to make a car, and that's okay. There will be some extra cars there. They won't be able to race against the made cars until you get to the, the kind of exhibition races. Uh, but we'll do some of those, and they can race against the made cars. And some of the cars that were made in past years may still be faster than the cars that were made this year, and it won't be fun to find out and race cars against cars. And so we're going to do that uh, all on Saturday, and it's a fun event. And uh, the concession stand will be running out of the kitchen. We'll feed everybody. It's going to be a good time. So that's all coming Saturday. Also remind you, we're in our memorization of Scripture. Focus our discipline for this six months through uh, the end of May, or uh, May to our anniversary. Our church anniversary is May 22nd. It's also Deacon Tony's birthday, so you won't forget that. The two days go together. You can, uh, give Deacon Tony a pat on the back, a hug, a handshake, or some kind of special little gift thing that you, the Lord might lead you to do, or whatever. If you, if you do, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine too. Brother Deacon Tony is here to serve us, to serve you, and that's what that's all about. But May 22nd is his birthday. It's also the anniversary celebration, and um, and so there will be some more details. We won't actually be able to do a lot of the celebration on that day. It's a Monday night. Uh, but we're going to do some things that week, and something that Sunday, and the Sunday after. And there's a lot of Sundays that are got a lot of stuff on them in May. So keep your ears peeled for the differences in that. But the bottom line is, through then, we're memorizing scriptures. If you don't want to memorize the verses that I set out every week, and I'm trying to help you do that by sending you a reminder, or put it on Facebook, or through Messenger, or that kind of thing. But if you don't want to memorize the verses that I set up, then at least memorize some verses. And if I may just make this plug for the Lord, you would do well. It is a spiritual discipline. You would do well to memorize scripture, some small portion, even if it's a few words, every single day of your life. Okay? Knights carry their swords with them almost everywhere they go because anything can go wrong at any point in time. And this is the sort of the spirit essentially loaned to us by God. 
Uh, and it is his word, and it is wise to know his word. Very wise. And so you could even, if you just took a verse and did a few, day, a few words a day, every day, you'd still be making progress at least. Okay? All right. So we're going to pray together at this time and worship God a little bit more. And I lost RJ. Did he take the baby He's getting Zoe. He's getting Zoe. Okay. All right. So I'll call on I He was set, set up to pray, but I'll pray now, and then I'll call on him later to pray. Let's pray together. Father Heaven, we are grateful for this day, for the breath in our lungs, the strength in our muscles, the fact that we're able to think, imagine, dream, problem solve. You have blessed us, even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of our struggles. We know the word says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you face all manner of trials and tribulations. And so we should be grateful when we are going through difficulty because the fact is there are those who are just not going. They're not with us anymore, and they've gone to heaven and probably are grateful for that, or they're not with us anymore, and they've gone somewhere else, and they're probably not grateful for that. And so, Lord, we're still going. We're still working. We're still doing. We're still overcoming. We're still bringing the light into the world. And as long as we're doing that, we have everything to be joyful about. Lord, we pray for the struggles that we have faced, that you would intervene as you see fit to fix things that need fixing. To overcome financial trials, to deal with health concerns. I pray for Sherry, and I pray for Chris, and I pray for June, and I pray for uh, Michael, all who are facing significant health concerns right now, Lord, and that you would overcome them. And there are others, probably some in this room, who have overcome their health concerns to be here, to be serving you, to be worshiping you, to be looking to you. Father, we ask your blessing upon this time. We know that it was ordained by you long ago, before any of us were ever born, that we'd be in this place. Worshiping you today and giving you first place in our lives. If there be somebody in this room who does not know you personally through Jesus, your son, I pray that before they leave today, before they leave their Sunday school class, before they leave this room, that they will settle, settle the matter of who they live for and where they're going. Thank you, Lord, for paying for sins on the cross, for overcoming, for providing forgiveness. We pray that we will reach new heights today in Jesus, in worship, in scripture memorization, in applying the word to our lives, in serving, in giving, in loving others. Truly, Lord, as you see fit. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We ask everybody to stand up. All right. Come on now. Stretch your legs. Shake out your arms. Wake up a little bit. It's like almost noon.
fun time studying our Bible memorization verses this week, and I may imagine some of you did. I know Miss Sherry said hers, and Ariana got at least verse 12, which the truth is if, you, if you've been in the Bible even off and on for a while, verse 12 is pretty easy to get. It was uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, for this is the law and the prophets. That's it. So it's a gold rule. Right? 11 is a little more challenging, 13 is a little more challenging, and all together is a little more challenging, but it's, it was, each of them is pretty good stuff. And I actually did a video this week, and I'm going to try to do that again, and you get opportunity to kind of get a little help memorizing, that kind of thing, if you want to do that. But you don't have to do that, but hopefully you did spend some time in the Word this week, so I want to ask you, what did you see in God's Word this week? How's the Lord been speaking to you this week? How many take? So, um, you guys are familiar with this, but um, you know, I think the kids that they have been 23 years, some of us already been 23, almost 23 twice. But so, um, but when I was 23 years old, I'll never forget um, the day that someone shared Jesus with me. I, I cried a thousand tears. I tell everybody, I used to cry in my room all the time, like, why am I here? Why am I alive? No one ever talked to me. No one ever reached out to me. And then I was 23 years old, and I cried out to God for the first time through Jesus, and He reached out to me, saved me. I was never the same after that day. And um, I was just thinking of a, a song that I remember I was telling a brother that I, I used to sing all the time. It's the first song that, broke, that I broke down in tears because I used to sing all the time to God, but I never sung in a way that um, I was worshiping God, that he could hear me, that he, that he loved me, that no one else could love me. Like I've never known a love like that. And so... Um, I have these lyrics I want to share, not the song, because I want to kind of do it this thing. You guys know this song, and i got to be careful I don't sing it because I'd love to sing it. But the thing is, it's like, what I love about this song is power that God's given everybody. Talent, art, characteristics, it's all awesome. But it started with the word. These words, I guarantee, will be sung in heaven. I mean, I can't say that it will be, but because it's so good. But I was thinking of like a seed. You know, when a seed first starts, it's just a little seed. But when it grows, whatever goes through, the trials, the tribulations, the seasons, it grows into a beautiful flower, grows into a tree. Or even like, I think like for the kids, like Pokemon, or you level up, you're this little guy, then you get bigger and stronger and smarter. Or you're, you don't look so cute, they become cuter or beautiful because that's what you are when you're first starting out. And so this song, you guys know this song, it became so glamorous, and instruments came to this song, and, and, you know, it's worshipped all around now. But here's how it started. It started with a man writing it down. It started with Jeremy Camp deciding, I'm going to write these lyrics down, and then people loved it, and people appreciated it for God and honored it, and it's a great song. But here's what, you guys know the song, here's what it says. You spread out the skies over empty space said, let there be light, and to a dark and formless world, your light was born. You spread out your arms over empty hearts, said, let there be light, and to a dark and homeless world, hopeless world, your son was born. So first, God, let there be light, but then we brought darkness, we brought sin in this world. So then God spread his arms out, his son, and gave us light again through Jesus. You made the world and saw that it was good. You sent your only son, for you are good. What a wonderful maker. What a wonderful savior. How majestic your whispers and how humble your love. With the strength like no other and the heart of a father. But how majestic your whispers. What a wonderful God. And then right here, no eye is fully seen, 
how beautiful the cross. And we have only heard the faintest whispers of how great you are. And then it goes through the same thing, and it's pretty much the same thing after that. But what I just wanted to say is that it started with just writing it down. I mean, today is a glorious song. So I encourage you, me, and I definitely younger kids, is it just starts with something. And look how beautiful it became. Look how beautiful God stretched that out. Because that song today is still known. And that song was written, in, it's not even his song. I mean, it's like a hymn almost. It's like this song's been around for thousands of years. And how God has stretched it out through generation, through generation, to just keep beautifully, not just singing it to God, but God singing it over us. Amen. What is the name of the song? Oh, What a Wonderful Maker. Awesome. Okay. A wonderful maker. Sorry. Wonderful maker. Just wonderful. All right. Anybody else? How's the Lord been speaking? Okay. Somebody tell me what does it mean to you the verse Matthew seven twelve that says, "Do unto others as you would have them do unto you." Let me tell me what that verse means, Jason. If you want someone to treat you equally, you have to treat them equally. Okay, so you're taking, you're extrapolating from it, and you're kind of drawing back a point that says, if you want somebody to treat you well. You have to treat them well. That's that may be true, but if they're doing it right and they're treating you the way they would want you to treat them, then it wouldn't have to be true, would it? If they're doing it right, go ahead, tell me. Um, treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Okay. So what does that mean? Um, give me an example if you have to. Like, Okay. Yeah, so he said, if someone's being mean, you can choose to treat them nicely, and then maybe they'll treat you nicely, or maybe they won't, but what? But even, you still did the right thing. Even if they didn't work, you still did the right thing, and you still maybe you could change their, their lives. Could change their lives, that's pretty good. Okay, anybody else going to add something? Tommy? Love others like you love yourself. Okay, love your, yeah, and Bob, Jesus actually said that elsewhere, didn't he? He said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's good. Tim? Probably a modern version of that is put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Yeah. What is that book that, we, that our generation was forced to read in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird? Anybody remember it? It's like coming back vaguely. Yeah. So trying to solve a murder, right? And the one guy says, I think it was to the, the boy, and he says, until you've walked a mile in a man's shoes, don't judge him, basically. And I'm probably messing up the words of it, but that's a good reality. Yeah, I realized it. And there was a more recent one, called, a movie called, that was, that's where Pay It Forward came from, actually, I think. But it was a movie where, uh, at the end of the movie, the, guy, the writer, the author of the short story, and they brought the text into the movie, said, you know, when you run into somebody, realize you, have to, you should treat them well because they are in the middle of a, of a fight. They're facing something horrible in their life. And you come in there, and, and you should treat them well, realizing that's what you would want for yourself, right? So there's a lot. It's, it's, it's all over popular culture. It's called the golden rule, right? Obviously, Jesus spoke it. It's Jesus' words. And by the way, if it was anything in the world that I would want to remember in my lifetime, it would be something that Jesus himself spoke, right? But he spoke it. And so if he spoke it, it's probably important. Like, I haven't found anything in the Bible that, that says that Jesus said that isn't, like, really important. So it does not mean treat others 
the way you would want them to treat you in order so that they will treat you well or to try to manipulate them, right? It's nothing about that. In fact, if you treat others the way you would want them to treat you, as Jason and I were just talking about up here, they may not treat you well back. They may, or as Caleb said, they may come treating you poorly in the first place. And yet, you're commanded by Jesus to treat others well. Does anybody know why we can do that? If you memorize the verses, you do know why, right? What's the word, what's the, in, in everything, the actual verses, in everything, what's the next word? In the, in the NASB, several of what? No? In, in everything, there's a clause word, and then it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's in everything, therefore. That's what it actually says. Or your translation might say, therefore, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? So there's a therefore. So what's the therefore there for? It's telling you that the verse that's right before that, right, is the reason why you can do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's a therefore. Therefore, since this is true, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? So what is the what is it? Did anybody memorize verse 11? I know at least Sherry did. I did. Anybody else? It's, that's telling you why you can do unto others the way you would have them do unto you, verse 11 is. And it says, if you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, therefore, does your Father in will your Father in heaven good gifts, good, I'll get it right, give good gifts to those who ask him? Got it? So that's the therefore. We can treat others the way we would want to be treated because if we know how to give good gifts to our children, being evil, we know how to give good gifts to our children. Surely God is going to give good gifts to those who ask him, because he is good, right? So you don't have to get what you need or what you want from other people. I mean, if you're a child in the room, you may have to get your food from an adult. If you're an adult in the room, you may have to get your paycheck from a, a place where you work, right? But ultimately, God has provided you with that adult or with that job or with the work. And if you don't work where you currently work, you may work somewhere else. Right? Because you have work that you can do and you can get paid for that work. The bottom line is God is going to provide good gifts to those who ask him. Because we know God is going to provide good gifts to us, we can treat others the way we would want to be treated. Don't miss the therefore. The therefore is of Scripture. They're where our strength comes from a lot of times. We know we can do this. So the next time somebody's treating you badly, treat them good anyway. Treat them good anyway. Because then whether or not something positive comes out of it, or whether or not you change their life over the next coming weeks, right? Either way, you will have still done what Jesus told you to do. And I submit to you that we get what we get from God and all the good things because we believe in God. In fact, it says in Hebrews, it says you cannot please, no one can please the Lord except he at least believe that he exists. You must have faith. You have to believe that he existed in order to please God. You don't believe, you don't believe that God existed. You're not pleasing him. That's the bottom line. Right? And so, we entrusting in God that he will give good gifts to his children and then accordingly treating others the way we would want to be treated that demonstrates our trust in God. We do trust in God. We believe in God because we're treating them the way we would want to be treated, not the way they're treating us or not treating them a certain way to try to get something out of them or whatever. But we're doing it just because of what God told us to do. In fact, Jesus, went, Jesus said that the man who hears these teachings, right, this is chapter 7, later, I think it's just later in chapter 7, the man who hears these teachings, 
is like the man who dug deep built his house upon the solid rock. If you will treat others the way you want to be treated, which you can do, because God is going to give good gifts to those who ask him. He's going to take care of you. Okay? So you can treat others the way, and if you would do that, you will be like the man who dug deep and built his house upon the rock. And when the storms come, and the other guy's house crashes because he built it on sand, your house will stand because you built it on the Lord. This is the value of studying the verses, even if you don't get them memorized the way you'd like to, or even if you don't get it word for word or whatever. This is the value. You can take that out of the world and do something with it. Okay? Treat others the way you would want to be treated, and you can do that because you are safe in the Lord because He's taken care of you. Look, that'll, that'll reoccur in the conclusion of the sermon a little bit today, which was not, that was purely providential. God did that. Okay? Alright, so we're going to pray at this time. We have tithes and offerings. We have just a couple more songs of worship. The children are getting ready to leave us to go to their lesson time and study the Word, and that'll be cool. And then we're going to go to the Word. Uh, and we're in Deuteronomy 20, today, 20 chapters into the book of Deuteronomy. All right? We're going to pray together. Aaron, my brother, my son, are you with me? Yeah. Would you pray for us, sir, and lead us in prayer as we transition? And don't forget to tie us off. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for beautiful weather breaking. Let's be able to gather here today. Thank you for the new faces that we see in the room. And pray that. Uh, Face the new and all, you would touch each of our hearts with the, the sermon today and Thank you. help us to learn and grow through you. We pray you bless the tithes and offering. Uh, lead us in our hearts and bring us wisdom and guide us through our daily walk. In His name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's
dog. I am fond of believing or even thinking that there are no excuses for not doing what's right. Do you agree? When I was a child, I had every kind of excuse. I got away with quite a few things because I could reason uh, logically why some of the things I was doing was correct. I think Jesus fairly clearly lays out for us that ultimately there is no excuse. In the book of Luke, in chapter 14, this is all in the pretext of what we're going to look today. This is not our text for the day. In the book of Luke, in chapter 14, Jesus tells a parable. It is the parable of a dinner feast. It says, a certain man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many, and at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master, and the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways along the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Now listen to this last verse. For I tell you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Jesus is basically saying those who would make excuses rather than to come when he calls, when the dinner feast is about to be served, that time in heaven, that time Uh, of eternal life after death, that time of serving in the kingdom of God alive after hearing about Jesus, when people make excuses and do not come, God's response to that is, all right, then, then you won't get to come. And that sounds like God is saying there can be no excuses. However, I submit to you that in the text that we are going to read today, God takes a different position on the excuses of men. The title of the sermon today is Overcoming Objections Reconsidered. We've looked at overcoming objections before. We've talked about why it's important to, when someone expresses an objection to the gospel, to be prepared with an answer if you can. Jude says give a, be prepared to give a reason for why you believe the things that you believe. We've been working through the book of De- Deuteronomy. Uh, and I hope you'll get a little excited with me. Maybe say amen or hallelujah or just exhale a loud breath. As we go to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Amen. Amen. This is God's word. From here on out, what I read today will be God speaking to the hearts of men throughout eternity. I submit to you that many great men have sat under this teaching that we're about to look at today. Many great women. Many great youth. Young people. um, The entire nation of Israel, initially, which were men, women, and children of all ages. Okay? And so, here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt is with you. Now you need to understand that they probably didn't have chariots and they didn't have horses in any large quantity, probably almost none. 
And that when a person fights from horseback or from a chariot, they gain a substantial advantage. In fact, a chariot was the equivalent of an armored car for that vehicle. You can bust an armored car. You can hit it with something solid. You can get in if you can get a door open. You can smoke the people out inside. But as long as the horses are attached to the chariot and the chariot is moving, the riders in the chariot are 60, 70, 80% impregnable to, to damage. They cannot be hurt. Arrows will bounce off the armor of the chariot. They are moving fast, so it's already harder to target them. They can throw spears. Uh, they may have blades attached to the side of the chariot, and the horses are powerful chargers, and so they can go through whole crowds of men and destroy those that they're running over top of, making mincemeat, literally, of enemy troops. A chariot is something to be afraid of unless you have a means to deal with it. A knight or a warrior, even a heavily armored warrior, knights didn't really exist in the sense of the uh, feudal times or that would come later, uh, like the Templar knights and so on. They didn't really exist at this time, but armored riders on horseback certainly did, heavily, heavy chain and things like that, shield. And a man in heavy chain and shield with a, a fairly uh, long weapon or even a long spear is also very difficult to defeat. In fact, men would have the job of gutting the horse or cutting the horse's legs. They were called dagger men, and their whole job was to gut the horse or cut the horse's legs so that they could get the guy down where they could actually fight him because it was virtually impossible to hurt him unless you could unseat him. He would ride through crowds of men on horseback, and the horse would kill men as he would go, and then he would swing his sword like this, like he was cutting down hay, and man after man after man would fall and slice open his skull or his neck or cut his arms off as they would try to fight the man on horseback. A man on horseback is a thing to be feared unless you have a way of dealing with it. But here, God was telling the Israelites when they would go out to battle against their enemies and see horses and chariots, and even if they would see an army that was much more numerous than them, they were not to be afraid. For the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, would be with them. Now it shall come about that when you are approaching the battle, the priest shall come near and speak to the people. Okay, so they've got a man of God with them, and the man of God is going to come up and he's going to speak to the army that's possibly facing off with chariots and horses and a more numerous force. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel. In other words, listen up, all you guys, all you warriors, all you nation, all you Israelites. Listen up. You are approaching the battle against your enemies today. Do not be faint-hearted. In other words, don't let your heart get out of control. Be feared, be fearful, trembling, not knowing what, what's going to happen. Worried, if you will. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Now, if I can stop right here after verse 4, you got the priest declaring the truth about God, which is that he was with their forces for victory. Now, let's look back just for a brief moment, historically speaking. Now, chariots and horses, notwithstanding, it didn't matter that the enemy came with chariots or the enemy came with horses or not. The statistics are that every soldier, every Israelite soldier in battle was as good as 22 men. That he was good for the killing of... Didn't matter if he was on a chariot, didn't matter if he was on a horse, didn't matter if he had heavy armor. Didn't matter if the army on the other side of the battlefield was 22 times stronger. That means 500 men could go out against 11,000. And 20,000 men could go up, go up against 
440,000 men, 22 times stronger. That's statistically, historically, the way it went. So when the priest is saying, don't worry, God is with you. The God who came up out of Egypt will be with you and will give you this victory. He will fight for you and with you. That is literally true. There is even a story later when Joshua was taking him in the promised land where an army flees from the Israelites from the battle. And it's a huge army still and hunting them all down and killing them was going to be tough. And rocks, possibly meteorites or whatever, fell from the sky and crushed that fleeing army. So that God was fighting for them even when they could not fight for themselves because the army had outdistanced them. So the priest is declaring on behalf of God, fear not, don't tremble before them. The Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And indeed, that is what happened in the day. But there's something else yet coming in this passage of scripture. It says the officers shall speak to the people saying, now listen, this is good. The officers shall speak to the people saying, who is the man that has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him depart and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. In other words, if he has the good reason of having built a new house and needing to dedicate his house to the Lord, he can leave the fight. Now, you're excused. You can step out of the fight and go and dedicate your house. By then, the battle will be long over. So you don't have to fight if you have this good reason, which is you need to dedicate your house. Verse 6, and it says, And who is the man that has planted a vineyard that has not begun to use its fruit? So he planted a vineyard, and he's not begun to take the, the grapes off the vine or whatever fruit was in the vineyard, break, take it down, and begin to put it to use. And it says, Let him depart and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man begin to use its fruit. So if he's got a good reason which in this case, the good reason that he uses it as an illustration, if you will, is needing to use the fruit from the vineyard that he planted, you're free to go. If you've got a good reason to be elsewhere, not serving the Lord today, not fighting on behalf of Israel today, not advancing the kingdom of God today, not carrying out God's will today, if you have a good reason, if you can come up with a good reason, and here's a couple examples, you can go. Verse 7. And who is the man who is engaged to a woman and has not married her? Let him depart and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man marry her. So now we've got this guy is engaged and they're about to get married. You're free to go. You got a good reason? You're free to go. Then the officers shall speak further to the people and they shall say, Who is the man that is afraid and faint hearted? You see those chariots? You see those horsemen? You see all these guys leaving because one's got to go get married, one's got to go harvest a vineyard, one's got to go dedicate his house, and all these people are leaving. If that's bothering you, if your heart is trembling, if your friend just left and you thought the two of you were going to go to battle together now and you're starting to get kind of scared because he left, you see the army size shrinking and you're getting a little fearful, you're free to go. Let him depart and return to his house so that he might not make his brother's hearts melt like his heart. And it shall come about that when the officers have finished speaking to the people, they shall appoint commanders of armies at the head of the people. That concludes our text in Deuteronomy for, for today. There's a few things that we need to look at out of here that, I mean, frankly, really touched my heart, especially because I found myself guilty in one place and had to repent. And that, that does happen quite often when I dig deeply into any aspect of Scripture. 
The first thing I want you to see in here is that the release of those who have a good reason first testifies about God's number one character trait. You know what God's number one character trait is? Is God's number one character trait that he is eternal? Is God's number one character trait that he knows all? Is God's number one character trait that he's all-powerful? If I say no to all three of those, then I ask you, do you know what God's number one character trait is? How about if I tell you that Peter said God is God is love? John, thank you, said God is love. The release demonstrates, first of all, God's love and his value of life. God does not want to be against you. I, I Hear me when I say this. 99.9999% of the time, when God is against a human being, it is for the benefit of that human being. I left that one tenth thousandth of a percent out because there are those who have just flat out turned against God in apostasy after having received the gospel. After, after having believed and, and began to taste the fruit of the kingdom, they then turn from God and they want nothing to do with it and live that. And God is against them because they are bad. They are evil and he will overcome them. They are wicked to the core. There is nothing good left in them. And God found that to be the case of all humanity in the day of Noah and wiped them all out. God was not just against them in a way that would bring them around to a course that would be better for them. He was against them because there was no saving them. The Palestinians, the people living in Palestine, when the Israelites came in, God was wiping out their society because he gave them 430 years to repent with an ongoing, consistent testimony, and yet they burned their firstborn child in the fire religiously. I cannot stand before you today and say that if you burnt your firstborn child in the fire, burnt them alive, that I might not come and kill you. I hope I wouldn't. But that atrocity is so extreme that I'm not sure I could tolerate it. And we expect God to tolerate that kind of wickedness? No. He is a loving God. But he has his limits when it comes to wickedness and apostasy. His number one trait is that he loves you. God wants you, get this, this will blow your mind. God wants you to be happy all the time. You're like, but wait, because there's things, <laughs> right? There are tribulations, there are difficulties, people die. If that's true, why doesn't God eradicate death? Why doesn't God wipe out suffering? Listen to me. If you lived in a world with no suffering, no death, no challenges whatsoever, you wouldn't be happy. You'd be fat, lazy on your deathbed. Human beings were made to work. We are created to work and overcome difficulties. If there are no difficulties, you would not be happy. In fact, sometimes it turns out that our greatest challenges actually bring us something that goes far further than happiness into enduring happiness, and we call that joy. God wants you to be happy all the time. So if God wants me to be happy all the time, why does it make me happy all the time? God doesn't make you happy all the time because you and the world and all your worst enemies don't want you to be happy. And he will not run roughshod over your free will to make you happy all the time. God's not an opiate. He is an intelligent, loving being. He loves you. That being said, when you face your greatest trials, if you have good reason to check out to not help, 
to be a detriment rather than a positive thing, God says, okay, no, I'll deal with it. Now, it may take months or years for God to crush that thing out of your life because you won't allow it, you won't participate in it, you're not working as part of the solution, you've actually become part of the problem, but he'll deal with it. It may be that he'll deal with it by eventually you die and go to heaven and whatever it is that you refuse to let go will go in the trash heap and you'll be eternal. Some people, it takes their entire life before they overcome some of the things that God is willing to overcome in an instant. Because they refuse and they make a good excuse and they have a good reason. God's release demonstrates, first of all, his great value of life. He wants you to build and harvest vineyards. He wants you to build, set up, create, construct in your creativeness and as a person made in his image, households and dedicate them to the Lord. He wants you to do a work that goes a little beyond whatever you think the results of that work is and endures into eternity. Caleb said in the inspirational moment, you may change their lives over the coming weeks. Understand that we're raising children that understand that it is possible to change someone else's life for the better if you're willing to show up and do the work. But sometimes you may find good reason not to. The importance of what he is proclaiming the release here is obvious to me. First of all, he is proclaiming the release of those who tremble or have good reason not to be there or whatever to protect the integrity of the host. If you're following along in your Bible, you can flip with me to the book of Ezekiel. You'll find it back in the prophets in the back right back there of the prophets. It's a kind of kind of long one, so it, it pops up pretty easy if you just kind of flip through. And if not, the table of contents is right in the front. You can find it. Book of Ezekiel, chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. So this is the prophecy by which Ezekiel foresees the kind of people who will be God's people. And as part of that, he says this. He says, I shall give them one heart. Now, if you've got a reason to be elsewhere, go ahead. Because God is going to give his people one heart. He says, I shall give them one heart. I shall put a new spirit with them, within them. If the Holy Spirit is rising up in you and making you a courageous lion to stand up for God and you, 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 you feel like a spark, you feel like a world changer, you feel like you, you know what it is that God wants you to do to advance the kingdom of God, then stand up and do that thing because you've become a child of God and he's given you one heart with others who are like that, a new spirit within you, his Holy Spirit. But if you've got a good reason not to, you're dismissed. Because this is the kind of people that God is raising up for himself, a people of one heart, a people who shall put a new spirit within, he, he shall put a new spirit within them. He says, and I shall take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. If you've begun to care, you care about the people around you, you care about families, you care about goodness, you care about honor and honesty and justice. You care about rightness in the world. You care about overcoming evil. If you go to bed at night and you think, I just can't live another day without making some kind of difference in someone's position in life, then you may have become a child of God or maybe becoming a child of God. 
one of his people. But if you can always wave that feeling off, that feeling of that need to serve others, to make a difference, to overcome evil, you can always wave that off with some kind of good reason why you never get started or never do what it is that you're being called to do, then you're dismissed. Because that's not the kind of host that God is preparing to serve himself. Verse 20 goes on and says that he would give us that heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. It says that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. So if you find in yourself the ability, not always the perfect ability, or you may find yourself making mistakes or getting distracted or tempted or whatever, but if you find in yourself the ability to do what it is that God has told you, especially if you see this to be the case, it used to be I could never do that. Now I can do that. It used to be I could never say no to that. Now I find myself able to say no to that. Even if there are things you can't currently say no to now, but if you find that there are things you wanted to say no to before that you couldn't, but now you can you find that there are things before that you needed to do and you couldn't bring yourself to do them or you couldn't just submit to what God was saying, but now you can, even if there are things now that you can't submit to, it doesn't say you're going to get everything perfectly. It says if you have the ability, if you've been given the ability to submit to God's statutes and keep his ordinances and to do them, you might be one of the children of God. But if you always find a reason or an excuse not to do what it is that God has told you to do, you're dismissed. He says, then they will be my people and I shall be their God. You hear it? You're being enlisted into the kingdom of God, the army of God. And if you will join and set aside your reasons, whatever they may be, then you can be his people and he will be your God and he will fight the battle for you. And your part of that is so small, it doesn't really even register. And you will overcome things that you couldn't believe you could overcome because really it's about your willingness. And then 21 says, but as for those whose hearts go after their detestable things and abominations. In other words, if you go after the things that the world sets up as good, if your reason or your excuse takes you to somewhere where you really ought not be or something that doesn't honor God or that, that includes breaking the rules of God, right? That's what he's saying. He says, I shall bring their conduct down on their heads, declares the Lord. See, God loves you and the release of the people who don't really want to serve God, who don't really want to overcome barriers, who don't really want to be released from the rest of the world's conformity and rather be transformed by the renewing of, his, of your mind and really know the will of God and do what it is. People who aren't like this, but who want to be over here chasing after the things of the world, Ezekiel says, God will let them go, but worse than that, not only will he let them go, he's also going to bring down their choices on their head. We are to be unified in our desire to follow God and do what it is that God wants us to do. We are to have a, a heart of flesh and care about what's going on. If you sprain or break your arm, as I borrow an illustration from an unknown author, if you sprain or break your arm and it hurts really bad, you may lay awake all night long, your whole rest of your body suffering willingly along with the pain and the ache in your arm. You may have been there at some point in time, you're like, I can't hardly sleep, my whole body doesn't want to sleep because of what I'm feeling in my arm. The body of Christ is supposed to be like that. When one person is really suffering like that, the rest of the body should lay awake and going, how do I fix what's going wrong? How do I step in and make a difference? But if your heart of compassion is blocked by your reason, then you're dismissed. But don't think that God won't then do something about that person's pain. He will. 
whatever they're going through, he'll be there for them, even if you choose not to be there for them. And if, by the way, when you choose not to be there for them, you choose not to be there for them because you're running after the detestable things of the world, then don't also think that God will be mocked. You will reap what you sow as you run after the detestable things of the world and don't show up for that person that needed you as part of the body that you're supposed to be unified with. Don't ache with them. Don't cry with them. Don't care about what they're going through. And you go after the detestable thing. So in other words, if you're too busy playing video games or you're too busy eating too much food or you're too busy having sex outside marriage or you're too busy pursuing drugs or you're too busy watching that, that crappy stuff that some people call TV, there's good TV and there's bad TV and you're watching the crappy stuff that some people call TV instead of showing up for somebody that's in need, God is going to bring down on your head the results of the very thing that you went after instead of doing the thing that you were supposed to do. Not my words, but the words of the Lord. Admittedly prophesied hundreds of years before we could have become Christians or even were born, thousands of years. But it is God's word. He called a people for himself. He called and yes, gave the ability to have a release. If you don't want to participate, you don't have to participate. You're released. Not only was it to protect the integrity of the host, but it was also to inspire confidence in the timid. Those who would then go out to war against chariots or horses or armies 22 times their size. They could be confident and know that God was for them. Why? Because they didn't have any wimpy, wicked apostates. How do you say that? Apostates with them, right? They all left. They were all dismissed. Everybody that's here is living for the Lord. Everybody that's here wants one unified thing. Let's do what God wants us to do. Let's make a difference. Let's overcome evil with good. Let's reach new heights with Jesus. Let's do what it is that God wants. That's why we're here. We're here to worship God, to reach new heights in Jesus. Some people just dip in their toe in for the very first time and kind of liken the temperature. Some people are going, I don't know, it's too hot in here for me. I need a good reason not to be here reaching new heights in Jesus. And if you find one, then on behalf of the holy God of the universe, let me say to you, you're dismissed. You're free to go. If you find a good reason not to follow Jesus, you're free to go. And those that remain will be unified in their desire to stand up on behalf of God in this world to be the literal body of Christ. That's what the church is. Outreaching to a lost and dying world and sharing because we are confident that God is fighting for us because there's nobody in our midst who would say, oh, no, thank you, God. God proclaims the release out of his Number one character trait, because he is love. He loves you and he wants you to be happy. He wants what's best for you. He wants you to build houses and dedicate them to the Lord. He wants you to get married and have children if that's, if that's your path for your life and to take care of them the way you should. But none of those things are truly meant to be an excuse. But should you find that they are, you're free to go. But should you find an excuse that leads you into detestable behavior or something that is sin, you're not only free to go, but on top of that, you will face the punishment. Man walked into an insane asylum. Thousands of people diagnosed with all kinds of disorders. People screaming over here. People pretending to be somebody from history over here. People running around in their underwear. People having their medications dosed right then and so on. And he saw that there were three guards on the insane asylum. Three guards to watch all those thousands of people who were in the common area and all their rooms and everything. There were only three guards assigned at any one time watching thousands of people. And he went up to the guard and said, are you not afraid 
that these people will unite and overpower you. There's only three of you. They can overpower you, and then they can all just leave, and all those thousands of people were released back in the community because there's only three guards here to even hold them, right? And the guard said back, no. He said, lunatics never unite. Either we will be united as God has laid out for us, or we will be divided. And united we stand, and divided we fall. The kingdom of God is a united people that cares about one another and cares about the work of God and advances the kingdom. And frankly, does not find reasons not to show up. You call off work because you had a bad fish sandwich. You're feeling mostly fine now, but yesterday was rough. Your job should not interfere with your serving Jesus, no matter what it takes. Because your job is for this lifetime and Jesus is for an eternity. And I use that as the most extreme example because it's the one we feel powerless to do anything about. Your spouse who does not feel the same way about God and being faithful to God as you do should not become your reason or your excuse not to show up and do the work of God and advance the kingdom. Because your spouse is for this lifetime. Jesus said they will not take husbands and wives and be married in the eternity like they are now. But your God is for eternity. Shall I go on? Your addictions are the very thing that he's talking about turning to that are detestations of God. Your hobbies that do not honor God are the very things that he's talking about turning to. Things that you look at that you should never look at. Things that you listen to that you shouldn't listen to. Things that are impure that you focus on and and the word says focus on the pure. And so on. And those things will be visited upon our heads. We must unite. And in uniting, we gain great strength because we can trust the Lord. In the military, this is called closing ranks. Foot troops close, get close, stand together. In the Roman legions, everybody carried a, a, what's called a large shield, right? And uh, there was another group in the same period of time that did the same thing. I'm, I'm blanking what their name was, but it's okay. Do you know? Who are the other ones? Come home with your shield or on it. Doesn't come. Spartans, thank you. Very good. Couldn't think of the name. And the the mothers would say to their sons as they were going out to war, that motto, come home with your shield or on it. Because they would hold their shield in combat, and when they all linked their shields together, they were impregnable. They could not be touched. It was a wall of bronze. And a million spears and arrows would bounce off, and horses would charge up. They would all stand with their shields locked. A horse... 1,500 pounds of muscle with its hooves bound in steel with an armored knight on its back, forgive me, would charge up to that line and they would hold their shields together and it would bounce off the line and the, the horse would fall on the ground and squirm around with a broken leg or a broken collarbone because those men held their shields together. Unity in the kingdom of God under God And we are undefeatable. We must close ranks. The release demonstrates that God loves us and is his number one and chief characteristic of love. But it's a practical release designed to protect the integrity of the host and to inspire confidence in those who were left behind. To increase the courage in the brave even. And it is also about closing ranks that we would stand together Listen, do you want to link arms with a guy next to you who claims the name of Jesus, but also sort of wobbles all over the place about whether he's available or not to serve? 
People got a lot of good reasons why not to do the hard work of serving Jesus. Why not to put down certain things or overcome certain things or let God do what it is that God wants to do. Now that we have become followers of Lord Jesus Christ, there are works that are set aside for us to do. We are no longer objects of wrath. That is to say, we are not resisting God, nor is he resisting us. He is rather working with us on our side to do what it is that we are trying to accomplish if it is in the Lord. And if we close ranks, and if we be courageous, and if we stop finding reasons not to do what it is that he is trying to do. Men go up a mountain, a very tall mountain, from which if you fall, you will die. And they often go at least in threes. Free climbing is a thing that some people do, but largely people go in threes or more. Rope together so that if one of them falls, the next person in the line would see them start to fall and immediately brace for impact and hold them, and the rope goes taut, and they're dangling in space for a moment, and then pretty soon they get back over and get perched on the rock, and the team continues up. When one of us falls, when one of us struggles, when one of us is difficult, the rest of us got to push in, got to pull hard, got to stand strong to do what it is that God would have us to do so that that person can come back. And over the years, we've had people who have wandered off into sin and then, and, and then came back and repented and turned back to the Lord and truly stood up for what it was that they believed. Because the body continued to be the body. The body continued to do things that they would do. There are people out there right now who are former members of our church that are considering, should I step back in? Should I really do what? I never felt as much joy. I was never taken care of the way. I never was in unity with believers the way I was when I was in that church. And now I'm not there. And I, feel, I know that something is lacking. And they're considering it. And what we do next is going to weigh in their considerations. And for those who come and come in here and they say, yeah, I'm for Jesus, and they're sort of for Jesus, but sort of not for Jesus, we have to realize you can't lock shields with somebody that's partly in and partly not. Because when that horse charges that line, if there are 30 men standing there with shields locked, that horse will bounce off that line. As long as their cumulative weight and strength is enough to stop that 12 to 1,500 pounds, they can stop that charging horse. But if just one person in that line turns and runs, the 30 of them are there, and number 27 goes, you know what, that's a big horse, I'm out of here. And he turns and runs. Everybody to the right of him in the line, no longer their strength, their weight, is no longer in the equation. And 20 men may die, 20 men may fall, 21 may be run over, because one person decided that they had a good reason. So first, first, the officers come through, before the battle is joined. And this is Ezekiel as one of our officers. And this is Moses as one of our officers. And this is God himself as our chief officer and his Holy Spirit as one of our officers saying to us, if you've got a good reason not to follow God, you're dismissed. And with that then, we move into our conclusion. We've probably said it a thousand times. It's worth saying again, you know what the chief aim of God is. We talked about the number one characteristic of God today, which is love. The chief aim of God is to bring all mankind into proper relationship with him. God wants what's best for you. If you are on a road not following God, not having trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been experiencing the opposition of God because God is trying to divert you onto the road where he can be present in your life always. And if you have God present in your life and yet you are on a road that does not honor God, then you're experiencing the wrath of God as God is trying to divert you onto the road of holiness, which is a safe place where demons and evil spirits cannot get any control over you. 
because they cannot get onto the road of holiness. He wants to get you on it, and he wants to get you in the middle of it, where you're safe. And if you're not safe right now, that's a choice you're making. God's chief aim is to bring every human being alive into right relationship with him. Now, you and I both know that's not going to happen. You're going to appeal with the gospel to somebody. You're going to explain to somebody. The gospel is simply this. If you want to lead somebody to Christ, here's how you do it. Explain to them. You say, can I tell you what the Bible says about that or whatever? Get to the point where you can explain what the gospel is, what needs to be decision, what decision they need to make. And it is simply this, that we all have sinned. We all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you've done something wrong, and if you didn't, you did. Right? Everyone has done something wrong. And they're too young to understand the concept of sin. They're before the age of accountability, and if they would die, God forbid, a baby, a year old, a month old, something like that dies, it doesn't happen, they go straight to heaven because they, they, they don't understand the consequences. There's no accountability. But at a moment in time, and in my experience, it usually comes uh, six, seven, eight years old, something like that. It's not 12 or 13, not like a teenager, not like when can you know you shouldn't drink, right? But at a moment in time, they realize they have sin. And then when they're 30, they convince themselves they don't. Or they say they do, but there's nothing they need to do about it. And the next part of the gospel is that because of the sin, the wages of sin, the outcome of that sin is death. It's a separation between us and God. We are separated. God does not sin, and we sin. If you sin and God doesn't, then God's not with you. That's the bottom line. Now, if you're saved and you have sin, God's still with you, but that results in wrath. He's trying to direct you back on the right course. You repent, get back on the right course, and then that brings that part of your life to a close, hopefully. And it might happen over and over again, even, right? But unsaved, you recognize the wages of sin is death. But the very same verse that tells us that the wages of sin is death tells us that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. So when you trust in Jesus as Lord, that means he tells you what to do and you do it. And we trust as Jesus as Savior, that means he paid the price for your sins. Then you are born again. You tell God that, you tell anyone who will listen that, and you are born again. You get a fresh start. And from then on out, you are part of the kingdom of God. At which point in time, there should be little or no reasons why you cannot participate in what God is trying to do to bring people unto himself. However, there may be some, and if there are some, then you are dismissed from that for a time to take care of whatever it is that you need to take care of. Dismissed. However, if what you are dismissed for leads you into pretentious or detestable behavior, God will bring the results of that down on your head. That's the equation. So if you're here today, you realize you have sinned and you have not accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and therefore received from God the free gift of his forgiveness, you need to do that right now. Not at the invitation, not later today, not after you get some more time to think about it. Stop making up reasons and just go, is that me? Yes, I think it is me. I need to accept the free gift of salvation and begin to live for the Lord today. Okay, there you go. But let's say you have a good reason why you will not accept that. That does not mean that God's people should not be courageous in sharing the truth and doing the work of God, which is to bring everybody into right relationship with God. You follow? Our job is to go out and tell everybody. I, I almost want to say to myself, everybody who will listen, but it isn't, it isn't even that, is it? Our job is to go out and tell everybody by word and by deed those simple truths that I have just explained to you, that everybody has sinned, the wages of that sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Will you accept the free gift of God and begin to live your life for your Lord Jesus and your Savior who paid the price for your sins? Everybody needs to hear that message. Now, what happens when they say no? Nothing. They're free to say no. God releases them to say no. They have some reason to say no. It's okay. God says, 
You can say no if you want. I want you to be happy. I would not want you to come be my follower if that was going to make you miserable for the rest of your life. I want to provide you complete, internal, abiding joy. I am going to provide you with tools and protections that you cannot fathom. I'm going to do more in you than you can begin to imagine. But if you have a good reason to say no, it's okay. Go ahead. And what do you do then? You go on to the next person. This release of God proclaims courageousness. It is okay for you to tell everybody about the gospel, invite everybody to Jesus, because what? 99 out of 100 may say no. And so if you only share the gospel 98 times in your lifetime, you may not lead anybody to Jesus because the first 98 may say no. It could just work out that way in randomness or in God's providence. If God knows your heart is not in it, God's going to keep sending you people to tell about Jesus because you don't really want to do it. You're doing it reluctantly. And then he's going to keep sending you people who will say no. But when you get the point that you can ask everybody because you can be courageous because others are standing with you doing the same thing and that's what God is all about and you're all about what God is all about and God is the one doing the fighting for you. God is the one bringing the message home. God is the one helping them make the decision. The Bible says no one comes unto the Father except he be called. So you share the gospel with somebody hoping they be called because you can't know if they're called. You share the gospel with somebody hoping they be called and it turns out they are not called. Okay, move on to the next person. This is so that we can be courageous. The problem is, and this is where I got convicted, the reason we don't want to share the gospel with people is because we're not okay with the release. I love God with all my heart almost all the time. I want it, want it to be all the time. And I can't, almost can't bear hearing people say that they don't want to follow Jesus today. It's really hard for me to do that. It's, it's like a, a sliver under my nail or a, an emotional jab. And yet... <laughs> I now realize that is part of God's love. My being sent to do this work is part of God's love. Them being allowed to say no is part of God's love. If you're here today and when I presented that simple gospel, you said, no, I'm not ready. I'm not going to do that. You had an excuse, a reason, whatever. That's okay. I'm still going to ask. We have Sunday after Sunday sometimes, months at a time, where no one responds to the invitation whatsoever. I'm like the, and, and let me be clear about that. I almost always respond to the, to the invitation. By the time I'm just studying the word, I am transformed almost every time I come and preach. I'm, I'm here to say that sometimes us doing this is more about me being fixed than it is about any of you. But if you're here and you recognize yourself and unwillingness to be courageous and tell people about Jesus because you have some logical reason, you're dismissed. You don't have to do it. Just be careful that when you don't do it, that you don't get led into something that's detestable. And realize that if you're only dismissed for a time, just long enough to deal whatever was your reason is, you say, well, if your reason is I'm just not that kind of person, then I submit to you, you're not born again. And you have a real problem. Because if Jesus comes again and asks you to go to heaven, you're going to say, wait for it, I'm sorry, Jesus, I'm just not that kind of person. And he's going to say, yeah, I knew that. But because I love you, I had to ask, is that where we want to live our lives? No. This release of God's, that's proclaimed by God's love, that demonstrates God's love, this protection of the integrity of God's people, our closing ranks and standing together, knowing what God is all about. God loves everybody and doesn't want anybody to be hungry. But God is not about feeding people food. God will make sure that everybody has enough to eat if they will look to him for it. 
And we do need to do that. We need to be part of God's efforts to feed the hungry. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But if you're feeding the hungry and not telling them about Jesus, don't think that you're living for God. That is not how it works. If you're raising your child and telling them, look, son, daughter, this is the way you have you to clean your room. You've got to take care of yourself. You respect your mother. Respect your father. Right? Be quiet when I ask you to be quiet. Sit down when I ask you. If those are the things that you're doing, those are all good things. But if you're not getting the messages of God and Jesus in your family, in your children, every single day, then don't pretend that that day was about fighting in the army of God, because it's not. It's about you trying to make a healthy child. Oh, by the way, does God want to make a healthy child? Yes, he does. When will God start ensuring that you are successful in making a healthy child? When you start make, making, making a healthy child about the things that God is about. And what was that, by the way? The number one most important priority? A right relationship with the Lord. There are a lot of people in this world, good people, honest people, honorable people, the best they know how. They are wicked in God's sight because they have sin, but they are doing the best they know how to survive and maybe doing a pretty darn good job of it. Somebody raised the people that are doing good works in the world who are not professing to be Christians. Somebody did a pretty good job of raising them. But the somebody that did a pretty good job of raising them, if they did not raise them with Jesus in the mix all the time, did not do it God's way. And those people that have now been raised up and who are doing pretty good works, but there's no Jesus in it, they're not doing it God's way. They were released at some point in time and they've continued to be released because it's an everyday experience as we close ranks, courageously facing our real enemies. It instills confidence in us when somebody speaks up and says, I shared Jesus with this person, but they didn't accept Christ. It instills confidence in others to do the same. You're like, but they didn't accept Christ. You know, it's another loss for the kingdom. No, it's not. When you share the gospel with somebody and they don't accept Christ, that's not a loss to the kingdom. That's a victory. You did what it is that you were supposed to do. You followed the commands of Jesus, showing him that you love him. You brought the gospel into that situation. You shed light in the darkness. You acted as salt and light and grace in this world. You did everything that he was supposed to do. As long as you asked them to be saved, you did everything that you were supposed to do. And that is a great victory. And then when they said no, wait a minute. When they said no... That, too, was a great victory because that release that they don't have to get saved did what? It proclaimed the love of God. God allows people to get saved. In fact, entreats them to do so and shows up in power whenever they are willing to do so. He also allows people to not get saved and yet holds back the coming wrath, the end of this world as we know it. It says that he is patient with all men he is patient with us that all men might come to repentance. Remember that par parable that we looked at at the beginning that Jesus told, the feast parable that talks about all those guys who started making excuses about not coming to dinner and the ones who made excuses about not coming to dinner. God was saying, well, see, if they turn me down, they'll never come. They'll never get in my dinner. I'm going to make sure that somebody gets in. Well, he sends his servant out to make sure that somebody gets in. Literally the era that we're living in today, 
You may go to somebody and they may say, no, I don't want to be born again. I don't want to start my life fresh. I don't want to follow Jesus. I don't want to be forgiven for my sins. I'm not ready yet. Or I don't really believe that. Or I, I have a hard time trusting people, so now I can't trust God. I've heard all kinds of reasons. And you need to say to them when they give their reason for not, if you're sharing the gospel and they give their reason, you say, if that really is your reason, then you're excused. No hard feelings. Continue to treat them with respect, or as Matthew 7 says, treat them the way you would want to be treated. In fact, we ought to treat them a little bit more, right? Nicer. Because you and I are going to heaven, and that person who's refusing Jesus is going to hell. So ultimately, you will get your eternal reward, and all things will be good for you. But their eternal reward is going to be really bad. And so maybe we ought to treat him even a little bit better than we would treat somebody that we know that is saved. But the word says we should do good to all men and especially the household of faith. So we do need to take care of our brothers first and in priority. All of this lets us remember, this release lets us remember and recognize it's not really our fight, it's really God's fight. The United States entered into a war in Afghanistan. They entered into a war in Vietnam they entered into a war in Korea. They entered into a war in Iraq. Do you know which one of those four wars the United States won? Now, they weren't all called wars, but they were wars. Do you know which one of them they won? The United States, the greatest power on the earth, the greatest arsenal on the earth. One trained soldier is worth 50 or 100 of the enemy because of the equipment they carry and the training they have. Do you know which one of those four wars we won? Somebody knows. Vietnam, Korea, Afghanistan, Iraq. None. Didn't win one of them. Do you know why? Because those wars started a thousand years before we showed up, and they'll be going on a thousand years after we're gone. It has always been the desire of God to win all men to himself. And in every generation, there are those who become what Ezekiel proclaimed. And those people try to win everybody around them to Jesus in whatever way they possibly can, demonstrating the love of God. And those people learn this truth, which is that when people say no, no is okay. If you don't want to be a follower of Jesus, that's okay. It's not as good as if you did want to be, but it's okay. God still loves you, and he's still going to keep working on you, keep tarrying with you for a long time. But if in the end, by death, by the return of Jesus, you're still making excuses, you will not taste of that feast. That's our actual position. We don't have to overcome objections. This is not our fight. If there is an easy way to do so, or if the Lord specifically leads you to do so, then do so. Somebody says, well, I would, but you know, I'm too concerned about this job I'm on and how much trouble I'm having, and if I could just get that sorted out, then I would take a serious look at this whole Jesus thing. Then maybe you refer them to a different job. Help them find a way to get to the point. You know, or whatever. But if you can't, don't tarry. Don't waste your time. Move on to the next person and share the gospel. Shaking the dust off your feet does not mean wishing ill on that person. You're not allowed to bring down fire on their life. It just means move on to the next person and try to find somebody who will not be making excuses, who will be doing what they are called to do. In Ephesians 6, Paul writes, 
that our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And I submit to you today, if you've had a problem with telling people about Jesus, because number one, you're afraid they'll say no, or number two, you're just scared, timid, or you think your personality just doesn't fit, it's time to be born again into the kingdom of God. It's time to become a, a person with a heart that is flesh and cares about the people around you who are lost and dying and going to hell. It's time to take those slivers under the nail or that stabbing in your heart when someone says no. It's time to become the love of Christ. I'm asking you to do that. I'm asking you to be courageous. I'm asking you to pull close together and stand strong against what can look like sometimes a very powerful enemy. Demons, evil spirits, and even Satan himself. The world system seems like it's running amok and, and changing everything, and we're in the face of it, and we're losing. It's scary. But not really. Because God is the one. God's the one who's going to deal with all of that in time. And I'm asking you to decide to be on God's side. To decide to set aside your reasons and your excuses. Get up in the morning and say, today, I'm going to share with anybody I possibly can. I'm going to live for God and I'm going to let nothing hold me back. It's been said that an excuse is a reason stuffed with a lie. You don't need any excuses. But if you got a good one, you're dismissed. But be careful not to use that excuse then to wander into detestable activity because God will rain it all down on your head. And if that's where you are, you have nothing left to do but repent, turn back to the Lord, and let God be in charge of your life, which is what you should have done in the first place. Ask the praise team to come forward at this time, if we can. We're going to sing a closing hymn together. And this is your opportunity to make known whatever decision you might be making today. If you're here today and you realize, hey, my sins have separated me from God, and when I was talking earlier or now, you're accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the first time ever, then you come and make that publicly known. You say, that's me. I'm standing up for Jesus in earnest for the first time ever. From here on out, I'm born again. I'm starting fresh. I'm living my life with God's love and God's battle plan as the most important things. But you're here today and say, I am a Christian, and I've been timid about sharing, telling anybody what I believe, or, or about telling people how to get saved, or whatever like that, because I'm afraid of what they'll say, or because I'm afraid of how it'll look, or whatever. And you look and you see, I don't have a good reason why that's true. It's not about my personality, right? You say, you might say, I just need a little break. It's okay, you can have a break. God says, yep, you can have a break anytime you want. But if you take a break, Make sure you come back to what's important. If you take a break and wind up in detestable things, beware, he'll rain them down on your head. Would you stand with me and sing this song and maybe make whatever decision that God has laid on your heart today as we sing? Come on. Here we go. Just as I Yourself if you wanted to. Now it's me.
good reason not to, you don't have to. Look at your reason and you realize it fails in comparison to God's love. You come. I've been speaking today about how you need to be courageous in sharing the gospel, but you have not done you're committing yourself today to tell the truth about Jesus wherever you might go, to anybody you might be there to hear. Right where you're at, you just raise your hands and ask me, Lord, I'm going to be courageous to share the gospel. I will allow that to be Allow God to work in those conversations. You're timid. Your heart delivers the thought of sharing. You're courageous. I always share Jesus whenever I can. You don't need to raise your hand. Anything in between. You think about God is calling me to tell the lost about Jesus, and I may find brothers and sisters right as I'm telling them. Last verse. We're going to one more. Last verse. Let this be your prayer to God today, and we'll close on this. Just as I am waiting not to rid my soul of one dark plot to be whose blood and share a couple of quick announcements with you, and some of these may be more for the people that are online uh, than they are for you, because you may already know about them, but uh, New Heights does provide a free right now subs- media subscription. Right now, media is a streaming platform like Netflix, uh, and that uh, streaming platform only streams Christian Bible studies of all kinds, mainly mainline Christian Bible studies, and also Christian and family-friendly kid shows. My daughter, who's eight, loves it. She's been through several of the different shows that are on there, and they do a great job of teaching the gospel message. Um, I can make some recommendations for you. If you want to really, really recommend the creators, they just released their new season. Their last episode of the new season comes out this coming Tuesday. All Every episode is about a Bible verse, but it's a story, and they basically create their own movie with costumes and props and everything like they were doing it on YouTube in the show. It's been really kids, cool, and all the kids and grandkids and stuff like it. Um, so recommend the creators and then uh, there's some other ones uh, Benjamin Cello are on a really light uh, super book which tells all the stories of the Bible and, and all biblical like they don't they don't mess it up they get it right straight, straight on what it says and that's really cool so those are all free on there on right now media you can get that by texting NHFBCET New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church so the first letter of every word New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church so to 49775 and then I'll send you a link, click on it, and you can download it onto your phone. 
you can watch it on your Roku, you can watch it on your phone, you can watch it on your tablet, computer, whatever, all that's and that's free through June and you cannot pay for it, they will not accept the card. So at the end of June you can't pay for it even if you wanted to. If Noise doesn't pay for it again, it'll just end at that time. Um, also the live stations open five days a week for emergency food. A couple of the drivers in the room had a recent kind of cool thing. In fact, today's newspaper should have an article in it about uh, Aaron and Arden, who are drivers of the light station. Uh, I'm sorry, Tommy and Arden. Tommy is full-time there at the light station as a driver. Arden is there part-time. And they have a lot of deliveries of emergency food to folks. And there's an article in the Toledo Blade today about them. Um, I don't know how big it'll be. It's hopefully pretty big, but it's, it, it'll at least be a mention. She told me it was in there. So take a look at that if you get a chance. Okay? And then uh, our app, like... The number four Toledo is in the App Store, and everything that's on our website, all of the stuff I'm talking about is in the app. The front page has the free right now media thing. People can order groceries in there. All that's all together in one place. Okay, so we're going to close in prayer at this time. We're going to remember our Grand Prix, which is literally six days away. The workshop, the final tune-up, put on wheels, put in weights, that kind of thing, is Friday night, the night before. And so the day of the race... There might be minor little tune-up things being done, but nobody can be painting a car. Nobody can be doing huge construction. It's all got to be done. The car should be done and pre-weighed, pre-wheeled, that kind of thing Friday night. So that Saturday, there's only minor tune-up things that might be done. That's really if a car breaks or something while it's racing. That's really all that's for. And that, But everyone will have to weigh in on Saturday. And if somebody's car weighs in and it's a little bit over or something, then they'll help them get it adjusted that kind of thing. So Friday night's the last workshop. Saturday is the race. The concession stand will be open during that time. Everybody eats for free, good food, and we do still need people to serve in all kinds of different ways. We need an announcer. Are you being the starter? You're going to start the races? You you did a good job of that last year. So Josh volunteered to start the races. I think he did at the meeting. That's why I mentioned it. Um, And so we we need all the people we can get to participate. So everybody try to block it out of your schedule. If you have a good reason to be there, Go ahead, don't be there. That's fine. No one's going to have any hard feelings. But otherwise, it's not a good reason. Let it go. It's an excuse. Let it go. And get your butt there so we can serve Jesus and, and spend time together. Um, in light of the way things went today, I'm going to pray for us briefly to close. We're going to be done. Here we go. God, thank you so much for empowering us to do what it is that you called us to do. For working in this fight, which is an age-old fight, long time before we were born. I thank you for winning both my parents to Christ. Uh, you won my dad to Christ when he was a teenager. Uh, I'm so grateful that he'll go to heaven. He's kind of getting up there now. Uh, and you won my mom to Christ at 56 years old, a long time after. And you used my wife and I a little bit to witness to her, but she didn't get saved until they moved back to Tennessee. And we're so grateful for that. We've seen change in our lives. I pray for them, Lord, that they'll stand firm. I pray for the parents and the children, the spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends, friends of everybody that's in this room. I pray for our brothers and our sisters, biologically speaking. I pray for our workmates who work beside us on the job. I pray for our classmates, those who go to class, where we go to class, people walking in the hallway, going the other direction. I pray for the people in the band uh, with Charlie and Arden. I pray for the people who work at Eli uh, with my wife. Um, Lord, I pray for uh, Tony's helpers on the rig. Sometimes they drive him nuts, but Lord, we know they need Jesus. Uh, I pray for Everybody that we might come into contact with, Lord, but mostly, I pray for us, that we would be a courageous, unified, close-ranked fighting force delivering the gospel into the world.
And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. This concludes our services for the day. And go ye therefore, and be the church.